this past Wednesday, uh, I go to a men's Bible study on Wednesday morning, a group of guys, some guys from our church and other churches. And after that Bible study is over, about 7.30, I go to the gym. And uh, I was heading out to the gym. It's at the Country Club out uh, in Bristol and uh, Lifestyles Fitness Center. And as I was on my way, I passed by on King College Road, the 16th hole on the golf course. Well, this particular day, as I came through the school zone there at Holston View Elementary School, a police officer pulled out, and he was following me all the way. So I was being very cautious and observant to things around me. But when I got to that 16th hole there, I looked over, and there was a man laying on the ground beside the green. There was a golf cart there. It looked to me there was something laying there. It looked like a set of golf clubs laying on the ground. And there was a guy standing over him. Well, I couldn't stop to see if I could help. But as soon as I got to the clubhouse of the golf course, I went inside and told the girl, which they own the golf course, they run the golf course, I said, uh, there's a guy laying on the green down there, and I think he might need some medical attention. Do you have anybody that can run out there and check on him? And she said, no, I'm here by myself. And I said, well, if you'll give me a key to a golf cart, I'll go out there. That hole is the farthest hole from the clubhouse. So I take off fast as I can go going out there, and as I get closer, you know, I'm thinking, boy, I sure would like to see that golf cart just going down the, the green and guys playing and enjoying. But as I got closer, I noticed that was still there, and I could see that guy was still laying on the ground. And I thought to myself, this is not going to end good. Probably need to call 911. But as I pull up and I get closer, I look, and there's one of the, the uh, grounds workers bent over, and laying on the ground is Rob, the head groundskeeper, and he's working on a sprinkler head. <laughs> and so I pulled up and I said, you guys are going to get a big laugh out of this. And so... I told them that I came to rescue them. But, of course, they didn't need rescuing. But, you know, when we see something like that, when we feel like somebody's life is in danger, it draws us into action, and we feel like we got to do something. We started this series last week called Lessons from a Pandemic. And we've been, we, we talked about and we're going to talk about some of the lessons that we've learned uh, as we've gone through this COVID-19 uh, coronavirus pandemic over the past year. And I think there's some valuable lessons that we can learn. And today, one of the lessons that I think we should have learned if we had not learned is that we should not take life for granted. We should not take life for granted. You know, a lot of, a lot of times uh, people are worried about things that might cause death. And I found that through this coronavirus, though it is a deadly virus, there have been mixed emotions about it. Some people are not worried about it at all. Some people don't even, don't even take precautions. And yet there are other people that are devastated by it and won't even leave their house because they're so fearful of this virus that's going around. Now, it is a deadly virus, and I think we should we should take precautions. But this is a little different because chances are if you get corona, you're not going to die. You'll probably make it through. Uh, but 
I heard a guy, young guy the other day said, I don't care if I get it. That just means I get to quarantine for two weeks, take two weeks off from work and, and lay around the house and veg out and watch TV for two weeks. And for some people, that's okay. I could, I'd go crazy doing that. But, but we've we got to realize that this is a deadly virus, and it has taken a number of lives. Now, when this thing first began, even the experts didn't know what we were supposed to do. They, they said, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, do this, don't do that. And, and finally, they came out with some guidelines that I think have worked pretty well. Uh, the cases did soar, but hopefully they're on the way down now, and people are getting the vaccine, and hopefully we'll get back to some sense of normalcy before too long. But I want to call your attention to some numbers here and something that I noticed. I guess I'm not the first to notice it. But uh, I think we have a chart here uh, of the number of cases that uh, we've had in the United States. Uh, about 65%, 64.6, were people under 50. I did the math. It's not up there. But if you add up those that are under 50, 64.6% of the cases that we had were people under 50. Only 35.3% of the cases that we had were people over 50. But if you jump over and look at the other side, the deaths, that'll be on your right-hand side, only 5.1% of the deaths were people under 50. 95% of the deaths were people that were over 50 years of age. Boy, as I look around this room, that should make us take notice. So I want to raise a question today. Has the pandemic reminded us of how precious our lives are? You know, if you're younger, in that younger category, you might be tempted to say, oh, well, if I get coronavirus, I'll survive. But I think there should be a bigger question that we think about, and that is that if I get the virus, I might spread that virus to somebody else. If you're under 50, you might should worry about the elderly folks that you have to deal with. And even if you're over 50, you should worry that you may spread it to loved ones or friends or people that you hang out with. As Christ followers, that should be on our mind. That for the good of my neighbor, it matters if I get coronavirus. Because I could... Spread that to someone I know and someone I love. You know, in, in, in the world today, we often focus on personal happiness. I was reading an article about this the other day. And, and uh, a couple years ago at the Toronto Film Festival, they had the famous actor Bill Murray, a comedian. And he's put out a lot of movies. And they had him as a speaker there at the film festival. And, and uh, he was to talk about personal happiness and his topic for that day was how to live the Bill Murray life and supposedly this is a life that will lead you to happiness step one sing and really be into it step two be honest step three always make time for your friends step four be spontaneous step five leave yourself open to magical moments step six Stay relaxed and success will follow. Step seven, remember that you are you and no one else is. 
Now, those are some pretty good traits. I can't find any fault with those. It's pretty good advice, except for the fact that it misses the point of why we were created, why we were put on this earth to start with. Colossians 1.16 in the Bible says, We were created through the Lord and for the Lord. And if there's not some uh, relationship with the Lord going on in our lives, we're missing the point of why we were put here on this earth to begin with. We need to realize that the Lord loves us. And the Lord wants the best life for us that we can have. But in order to find that life, we have to follow His ways. Let's turn to Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. Fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 8. The word Deuteronomy actually means, it's a compound word, deutero meaning second or, or having to do with two. We get our word duo from that word. And namas meaning law. So it means, the word Deuteronomy means second law. And what it is, it's the second giving of the law. Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, and, and God gave him the law of Moses that he has put out to the people, he's recapping that law. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, he goes back through the Ten Commandments again and gives those, uh, those, those commandments once again. And he reiterates many of the laws that are contained in the first four books of the Old Testament. These are Moses' final words to the people, to God's people, the Israelites, before they go into the Promised Land. Moses is, is near the end of his life. He won't get to go into the Promised Land, but he gives this advice, if you will, this second giving of the law to remind the people what God wants from them. Reminders and warnings. Uh, the Bible calls them blessing and curses. But read with me here in chapter 8, and we'll begin at verse 1. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase and enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then that in your heart, that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to Him and revering Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks and streams and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates and olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. It's a good land. 
that God was giving them. And, and first thing I want us to notice is that God often uses life circumstances to de- teach us to depend on Him. You know, that journey into the promised land, it was not an easy journey. If you remember, the people were in exile. They were slaves in Egypt, and, and God brought them out. And we don't have time to go through all of that story. But He brought them out into the wilderness. He didn't immediately take them to the promised land. And there they, they fled from the Egyptian army. And basically, God let them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Because a whole generation of those people that came out, as soon as they got their freedom and got out into the wilderness, they started to grumble and complain. We don't like this. We don't like that. And we don't, we're missing the good food that we had back in, in slavery back there. We think we ought to just go back to slavery. And they grumbled and complained. They didn't trust God. Now, God did feed them. Tells us here he gave them manna. But if you look in this text... It says that he humbled them. Now, what does that mean, that God humbled somebody? He brought them to a place where they had to recognize that they had to depend on him. You know, when you're in the wilderness, you can't just run to Belk and get some new clothes. But God fixed it where their clothes didn't wear out. When you're in the wilderness, you don't just go to the drive-thru at Pals and get a hamburger when you get hungry. But God provided food. He provided manna. He provided water for them. It says there also that he tested. You know, when you get tested, the test is not for the, it's not for the teacher. It's for the student to reveal what the student knows. We should learn from tests. When I took tests in college, I always learned more from what I missed than what I got right because it aggravated me when I missed a a question on a test. So tests are for the benefit of the person being tested. And God says in verse 3, I brought you out there to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, that is, the physical elements of this world, but by the very word of the Lord. You see, we need that relationship with God to have the kind of life that we were created to have. Now, when we say we're humbled before God and we're dependent on God, that doesn't mean we just lay down in the sand and say, okay, God, here I am in the wilderness. You fix everything. You take care of me. No. We have to do our part. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. You still have to walk the path. You have to follow God's direction and learn along the way what he's going to teach us. So we, we humble ourselves to Him and say, Okay, God, I'm going through this life. I'm walking this path of life. And you're going to be with me. And you're going to take me. And you're going to sometimes test me to see what I know. And if we go through and meet those tests with belief and trust and faith in God, we're going to find that we will most often come through the test. This past week, I was doing some study, and I came across a, uh, a warning label. It's on football helmets for the NFL. The Shutt Company makes 
these helmets for the NFL, and you know, there's all the rage now is about concussion protocols and, and things in the NFL. A lot of those players have had brain damage because of that. And there's a warning label on all these football helmets on the inside. It says, warning, no helmet system can prevent concussions or eliminate the risk of serious head or neck injuries while playing football. That warning label goes on to give some symptoms for um, uh, concussions to remind you, you know, if you feel this way, you might have a concussion, you need to get checked out. And then it gives the warning again. Here's what it says. No helmet system can protect you from serious brain and or neck injuries, including paralysis or death. To avoid these risks, do not engage in the sport of football. <laughs> you know, I think life ought to come with a warning label. Warning. Life might be hazardous to your health. To avoid any problems in this world, don't live. Because we all realize that as we go through life, we're going to have problems. Things are going to happen. But so often, God takes our circumstance and He uses that to teach us something. We're going to face trials and tests and temptations. And it's there that God teaches us to trust Him. That's what he did with Israel while they were out there in the desert. And to be honest with you, some of the people, few of the people learned some lessons. Most did not. And God let that whole original generation, except for two guys, Joshua and Caleb, pass away in the desert and not let them go into the promised land. Only the next generation made it in. And those that made it to the promised land, they got to enjoy the blessing. Look at verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good He has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws, and His decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build houses and settle down, when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of the rock and he gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something you or your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that the end might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. Now think about what Moses is saying. Because, you know, in good times, it's easy to become proud and to take credit for ourselves. That's what it says in verse 14 and 17. God knew that the people were going to end up this way. That, that land that he gave those people, that is some of the most beautiful land in the world, even to this day. It, it encompasses modern-day Iraq and Syria and Lebanon, Palestine, Israel, Jordan, Egypt, uh, 
And, and historians have even called it the Fertile Crescent. It's this crescent-shaped piece of land. And right in the center of that is where the promised land was. And God gave it to his people, the Israelites. Now, it did not come without hard work. They fought battles to, to take that land. They had to cultivate the land. They had to do all the work. But it was fertile land, and it, it produced great wealth for those people. And God says to the people, don't forget me. Keep my commands. Keep my laws. Follow my decrees. Now, of course, they were under the old covenant. But this all has to do with the covenant. We learned about that a few weeks ago. We talked about the, the basic of the covenant. God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And we are to follow him. And we are to always remember who we are. Even with us, we're in the new covenant, not the covenant of the law of Moses, but the covenant of grace. But we're still to remember God is our God and we are his people. Remember who you are. You know, if you look at these verses I've just read, verse 10 through 17, man, they ate and they were satisfied. They had fine houses and their herds grew and their gold and silver increased and and all they had multiplied. And he reminded them, look what I did. I brought you out of slavery. And, and I, I fed you while you wandered in the wilderness. And all these good things. Now, these hadn't happened yet. But Moses was telling them that this was what was going to happen for them. But you know what? When that happens, pride can get the best. It did get the best of them. And they started to wander and worship other gods in their culture and, and get involved with the other things that other peoples were doing. You know, when we find success, a lot of times we can start saying, I did this, and I can do this on my own. And I don't need help. And I don't need people, and I don't need God. And we can begin to lose our humility. And we drift away from God. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You know, pride can really get the best of you. You know, you, you have to, if you receive a gift, you have to sort of humble yourself to the person that you are getting that gift from. You have to receive that gift. Uh, Tim Keller has written a book and the book is called Hidden Christmas, The Surprising Truth Behind the Birth of Christ. And he says, think for a minute about getting a gift, a Christmas gift, and somebody gives you this Christmas gift on how to lose weight. Well, you have to really humble yourself, you know. You could say, well, I don't need this book. Throw it back at them. But, it, you know, we're polite and we say, okay, thank you for the gift. So what are we doing? We're humbling ourselves and saying, you know what, you're right. I do need to lose a few pounds, and so I gladly take this book. Or what if they give you a book that's titled Overcoming Selfishness? And you receive that, and you say, thank you, and you realize, you know, I am a selfish, I'm self-centered, and I need to work on that a little bit. So you humble yourself to that. Or let's say you're broke, and 
you're in debt and you need help and friend comes to you and says, look, I'll, I'll give you some money. You pay me back whenever you can. You have to humble yourself and receive that. But think about our lives for just a minute. God comes to us and says, you're a sinner and you need help. And I'm sending my son. He's going to pay the penalty for your sin. And you've got to humble yourself to receive that. Or even if you think about life and most of us in here, I think, want life eternal. The only way to get that is to humble yourself before your God and receive it as a gift. Because you can't earn it and you certainly don't deserve it. And we have to set pride aside. And we have to set aside taking all the credit for what our lives are all about. Look at verse 18. Remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. So we should always remember that God should get the glory for the good life. You know, we've all heard about a self-made man. Now, I think we know what that means. It usually means this guy was comes out of humble, poor circumstances. He's worked hard, and he's made something out of his life, and he's been successful, and he's probably got a little bit of wealth. But there's no such thing as a self-made man or woman. God created us. Colossians 1.16, through the Lord and for the Lord we were created. And to miss that point is to really miss the whole meaning of life. And if there's no real meaning or purpose in your life, you're just living day to day, then go to the Lord and say, God, what is it? What is my purpose in your kingdom here on this earth? And if there is some measure of success in your life, then go to the Lord and say, Lord, I can only give you the glory for what you've done in me and through me to bring me to this point. Most of you will remember a baseball player named Joe DiMaggio, a famous baseball player. And For a time, he was away from his team. And uh, 1945, the war had ended, and he snuck into Yankee Stadium to watch the Yankees play. Incognito, with his hat, sunglasses on. He brought his little boy with him, hat, sunglasses. He said, son, we don't want anybody to know who we are. We're just going to go sit in the stands and enjoy the game. But a few innings into the game, somebody recognized him and yelled out, There's Joe! DiMaggio! And then people started chanting, Joe! 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 And his little son looked up at him and said, Dad, see, they know who I am. And you know, that story just reminds me that sometimes... We can think a little more highly of ourselves. Little Joe didn't realize that all the glory being espoused that day was for his father, who was this great baseball player. As we go through life, we can begin to get that pride and take all that credit and think, look at me, how great I am. They know who I am. Whether you think too little of yourselves or whether you think too much of yourselves, in both cases, 
we need to show God what he deserves. For we were created to be something in his kingdom, to live the life that honors him and to bring him glory. And he is the one who equips us all for whatever we do. And we, when we live a life of purpose and meaning, we will find fulfillment and joy. So don't take life for granted. For God, don't take for granted the God who gave you that life. Verse 19. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to Him, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nation the Lord destroyed before you, you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. And here's our connection. If we take the life God has given us for granted, it leads to destruction. You know, God has really called us to, to worship and to follow Him. And we can bow and worship all kinds of things. And some do. Their job, other people, hobbies, money. They put those things first in their life instead of God. And I pray and I hope that maybe God has used this COVID thing and that we've learned a lesson as he's sort of humbled us because we've had to stay in the house. We've had to not do some of the things that we thought we could never live without. And maybe he's affected our prosperity and our security and our health and our abundance and especially our freedom to teach us a lesson that those things are not what is important. John Piper, in an article called God is an Important Person, talks about Suppose you walk into a company and you talk to the president and say to the president of that company, who's the most important person in your life other than God? And that man says, well, it's my vice president of marketing. He's the most important person in my life. And then you say to that man, well, what about your wife? And he says, oh, oh, well, well yes, certainly, my wife is the most important person. I just, uh, you know, she's always there, and I just sort of take her for granted. You think the wife would accept that explanation? You think she would just say, oh, yeah, I know I'm the most important, but he doesn't think about me. He's just concerned about his business. If that's the case, would she really be the most important thing in his life? I want to ask you a question. Less than God, what would be the most important thing to you? Some of you might say, well, it's my job. Some of you might say, it's my wife or it's my husband. Some of you might say, it's my house. Some of you might say, it's my grandkids. There's a whole myriad of things that you might say. But let me ask you a question. Where would you put oxygen in that situation? Where would you put water in that situation? Are those important? Where would you put your own life in that situation? 
Have you, like the president, just taken those things for granted? Because all of those things, our life, the oxygen we breathe, the water we drink, that we must have, they all come from the Lord. So I hope that as we, coming out of this COVID, we learn a lesson and we think about the things that God has given us, that we should not take them for granted. They are important, and so is the God that gives them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us, for your care and your concern for us. And Lord, you have given us so much, especially those of us that live in this place in America. What abundance we have. And Lord, we sometimes take it all for granted. And yet we are to realize and not forget you. That whatever we are or whatever we have, it's because of the abilities that you have given us. And even beyond that, the very air that we breathe, the very water that we drink, the blood that beats in our veins and the heart that beats in our chest, it's all because of you. You are the giver of life. And we should never take that for granted. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.